0: i'm glad you're joining us on radio free georgia's in tune to nature program i'm host carrie freeman coming to you in earth week april 2021 and today we're going to be talking about saving life on earth specifically a goal to have president biden declare the extinction crisis a national emergency so we can put full resources toward this urgent life-saving mission that would benefit everyone this is a campaign and a mission of the nonprofit organization the center for biological diversity So I have a campaign director, Tiara Curry, here to explain the plan.
1: Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, thanks, Carrie, I'm so happy to be here.
0: And I'm gonna tell everybody a little bit about the Center for Biological Diversity and you. At the Center for Biological Diversity, they believe that the welfare of human beings is deeply linked to nature, to the existence of our world, of a vast diversity of wild animals and plants. They want those who come after us to inherit a world where quote, the wild is still alive, unquote. That's nice. The center works through science law and creative media with a focus on protecting the lands, waters, and climate that species need to survive. Their website is biologicaldiversity.org. And I just made a donation there in honor of Earth Day. Our guest tonight is Tiara Curry, Saving Life on Earth Campaign Director and Senior Scientist at the Center for Biological Diversity. The campaign website is savelifeonearth.org. She focuses on building a movement to end extinction and works nationally with individuals and groups in support of celebrating protecting biodiversity. Prior to joining the center in 2007, she worked as an amphibian field biologist environmental educator and community organizer against mountaintop removal coal mining. Tiara holds a bachelor's in English from Berea College and a master's in biology from Portland State University. Welcome back to the show, Tiara.
1: Thanks so much, Carrie. I'm so happy to be here.
0: Yeah, Tiara, can you briefly explain what's unique about the Saving Life on Earth campaign as that's already the mission driving everything the Center for Biological Diversity does?
1: Right. So the Saving Life on Earth campaign, it unites and elevates all of our different programs. So we have an endangered species program, public lands, energy justice, environmental health, all these other programs. And the goal of all of them is to end extinction and save life on earth. And In the past couple of years, so many kind of macro reports have come out saying that we're at risk of losing a species to extinction, that one in four species is threatened with extinction now, that vertebrate populations have declined by 70% in the last 50 years on average. And so just looking at the overwhelming state that things are in, we decided to launch a macro campaign called Saving Life on Earth just to elevate and increase awareness of the extinction crisis. I feel like the climate crisis, most people will acknowledge that that's happening and that we have to address it now, but the extinction crisis doesn't have as much awareness.
0: Right, I agree. Uh, And I recently signed a petition from the Center for Biological Diversity where you all were asking President Biden to declare the species extinction crisis a national emergency. And it's accompanied by a detailed plan of what the government support could entail. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. And that's what made me uh, want to have you on the show. So, Tr, what does declaring a national emergency entitle or encourage the president and the US government agencies to do that they aren't doing now in protecting biodiversity?
1: So if President Biden will declare the extinction crisis to be a national emergency, he can pressure the entire federal government, all of the agencies, to evaluate their actions to make sure that they're not harming endangered species, because right now a lot of the routine activities of the government are very harmful to species from sonar that impacts whales, to military bombing ranges, to FERC approving pipelines, um, to the ongoing leasing of fossil fuels on federal public lands. So the emergency declaration would really overhaul the priorities of the federal government so that public lands could be managed for the benefit of biodiversity and carbon storage, and so that government activities didn't inherently harm wildlife populations or contribute to the climate crisis.
0: Right, and even all the agricultural uh, you know, land that we use and, and things around that as well, because I know your organization just did uh, a webinar last week about, um, you know, how food and our dietary choices also are linked, you know, to this as well. So you're right that so many routine activities um, put wildlife at risk because we don't put them first.
1: Absolutely. And I mean, we are in an extinction crisis, so we have to move away from business as usual. And declaring it to be a national emergency would really just change the focus and cause there to be a review of all the government activities. So As part of that, we're also asking him to protect 30% of US lands and waters by 2030. And he already committed to that goal, which is amazing. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, So now we're down to the hard work. We have to identify those places and increase their protections and make sure that they are inclusive of species and not just you know rock faces or cliffs or places without a lot of wildlife. Um, It has to be representative of all of the diversity of the country. And also equal access to nature is gonna be part of that so that people around the country have access to the natural world and not just you know, more affluent areas. Absolutely.
0: And I, I, one thing I noticed also with the, with the plan for the national emergency, uh, the Center for Biological Diversity was also asking President Biden to commit $100 billion to saving the diversity of life on earth. How did you come up with the $100 billion budgetary need in terms of how the money would be designated across different areas
1: so we released our saving life on earth policy plan in January of 2020 right before COVID hit and at that time 100 billion dollars kind of sounded like a lot of money but COVID <laughs> has now cost the U.S. 10 uh, trillion dollars so 100 billion dollars pales in comparison to that um What we're asking for is we want $20 billion to go towards protecting 30% of lands and waters. So that would help the government acquire more land and protect more land and do conservation easements, things like that. We want $20 billion to recover endangered species. Endangered species recovery is so underfunded. There's about 1,800 species on the endangered species list in the United States, and some of them get less than $500 a year for their recovery. And that's just not enough to address the threats they face. It's not even really enough to do their paperwork. So we need so much more funding for fish and wildlife at the federal level to, to list more species and to develop recovery plans and designate critical habitat for those species. We also want $10 billion of assistance to state fish and wildlife agencies so that they can conserve wildlife before it declines to the point that it needs to be on the endangered species list. And then... Internationally, we want $10 billion for global coral restoration, and that's because corals support so many other species. Something like 450 species are dependent on corals. like They're really the lifeline of the entire ocean, and they're so threatened by ocean acidification and climate change. So by protecting them, it would protect just a suite of marine species the same thing, we want $10 billion for neotropical migratory birds. And that's because if we protect the forest and the habitats for the birds, that will also protect, you know, the plants, the flowers, the frogs, the insects, all of the other components of the the forest that the birds use. Um, We want $10 billion for international biodiversity hotspots. There's a lot of places in the world that are just crucial for biodiversity, but the governments don't really have the funding to protect them or they need more they just need more international support. Um, along those lines, we're asking for $10 billion to combat wildlife trafficking. We're actually asking for an end to, to live wildlife trade. The United States yes. imports 20% of the global wildlife trade. And mm-hmm. like we like to point fingers at other countries and say it's not us, but we're responsible for 20% of it. So, and a lot of it is just blatantly illegal. So that would $10 billion would increase enforcement. And actually that means so much more funding. I mean, we're in this whole COVID-19 pandemic mess because of wildlife trade and our unhealthy relationship with nature. And so that would show U.S. leadership and say, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna take this seriously. And then finally, we want $10 billion to address the spread of invasive species um, and this is really just a drop in the bucket. A lot of people don't know about or talk about invasive species, but they're one of the leading causes of extinction, especially things that like get carried in ship ballast water, like mussels or other invasive freshwater species that just move up through our rivers and devastate the the biodiversity here and around the world. So that's, that's the breakdown of our $100 billion ask. And really, I mean, $100 billion, it's just it's a starting point, but it would show that we are taking the extinction crisis seriously and that we're committing to international action in a way that, that we haven't, I mean, we're not even a member of the convention on biological diversity. So we really need to step up to the plate. Right. Thanks
0: for detailing, you know, how the money would be spent at, because, and people can see that on, on that report that, that you have on your website. Is there a quick link to get to that report would like save life on be it's the report that has the panther face on it <laughs> from january that also kind of outlines a lot of how the money would be spent is that the best place for people to look for some of the details yep. that you're describing
1: yeah that's exactly okay. where it is save life on earth.org and there's okay. also a link to a petition there that people could sign asking president biden to declare the extinction crisis a national emergency
0: That's good. And I'm also gonna, I already have, but I'll put it again on the Facebook site for Intune to Nature as well. So the petition that we're talking about to Biden also asks that the USA create 175 parks, refuges, and monuments to build towards protecting 30% of lands and water by 2030, which you mentioned, and also 50% of the lands and waters by 2050. So I think it's like building up to 30% and then building up to half of the land and water protected by 2050. Um, and when, when you say 175 parks, refuges, and monuments, have the key biodiverse locations or wildlife corridors already been identified when you come up with that number? Are these like new areas to be protected?
1: This is a really hot area of research. So whole teams of scientists from universities and other nonprofits across the country are working to identify the most important places for protection. And um, so that mapping is still being done. We came up with the 175 number based on 50 wildlife refuges, 50 marine sanctuaries, and 75 national monuments. So and we came up with the 75 national monuments because the Secretaries of Interior, Agriculture, and Commerce and Defense could, could all nominate those areas. And so really, like right now, only 12% of US lands are protected for wildlife. And even though 30% of lands are public lands, they're open to drilling, mining, logging, all of these extractive uses that are harming wildlife populations. And so by ordering the secretaries to identify the important areas, it would also help overhaul public lands management.
0: That's right, and then also grazing is another yep, way a absolutely. lot of the land is used as well, and it can be threatening to. It seems like we're putting wildlife off instead. We're putting um, cows um, on the land, it's
1: and that, it's, <laughs> I mean, it's beyond just putting cows on the land. We're spraying pesticides. We're poisoning insects right. on millions of acres, to so they won't eat the grass, so that the cows can eat the grass. And this is public land, it isn't private rancher land. So the the whole management scheme needs to be overhauled.
0: Right, as well as that wildlife services agency, the euphemistic name that kills so many millions of individual uh, wild or free species to protect, um, you know, quote unquote, livestock um, on public lands that are grazing there. So there's so many, like when you dig down, there's like so many areas. Uh, where even public lands that people assume are protected are really being used um, for more industrial type purposes, and not really privileging ecology.
1: Now- yeah, and that's oh, yeah. it's so it's so hard to get people to understand that. Like a lot of times, people just assume that national forests are protected as national forests, and. They're not. They're open to grazing, drilling, mining, clear cutting, all of in. these like, dumping waste. Like there's a big fight in Arizona right now. The Forest Service said that a copper mining company could dump their waste on the forest in an area with endangered species and that has a campground. That's they said that that's a valid use of the land. And it's not even the mining to get the minerals, it's literally they're just going to dump their waste on the National Forest.
0: Right. That right. That's not it's something that anyone would think would happen on the on right. that area.
1: Now, exactly.
0: can, can you give us an example, like on land, and maybe one in a marine area of uh, an an area that you think should probably get protected that currently isn't?
1: I would love to see more protections in the Gulf of Mexico. Like right now, most of the marine protected areas are in the far northeast or out west, and so. Southeastern United States doesn't really have very many marine protected areas. And we have so much diversity and the Gulf of Mexico faces so many problems right now from agricultural runoff to fossil fuel export to plastic Ugh. factories. We're fighting brand new, huge plastic factories in, in Cancer Alley. And so more protection for the Gulf of Mexico would help protect so many things. It would help frontline communities facing pollution. It would help us yes. fight fossil fuel it would help reform agriculture. Um, And for terrestrial areas, there's so many diverse but unprotected areas or places that need more protection, like the Southwest that we were just talking about, which is where the copper mine wants to dump their waste. There's a lot of endemic species there. And the Southeastern United States too, it's the world hotspot for freshwater biodiversity. There's so little protected area in the Southeast. So I would like to see those areas prioritized for sure. That's
0: great. If you're just joining us on Radio Free Georgia, this is In Tune to Nature and I'm a host, Carrie Freeman, interviewing Tierra Curry, Saving Life on Earth campaign director and senior scientist at the Center for Biological Diversity. Their campaign website is savelifeonearth.org. We're talking about their plan for President Biden to declare the global extinction crisis a national emergency to dedicate greater resources and leadership to the urgent need to save life on Earth. Tiara, I know part of your plan is for President Biden to designate and protect wildlife corridors, including the construction of 1000 new wildlife overpasses and underpasses. Can you explain why wildlife corridors are so critical and how they work?
1: Yes, so they're absolutely critical to the long term survival of species because as the us has more and more development and sprawl and industrial agriculture all of the things that create roads and places that wildlife can't cross safely it separates populations and mm. once populations are separated then they don't have the gene flow that they need to remain healthy in the like in the longest term that habitats have to be connected and so we're talking about you know charismatic things like bears and elk, but also little things like amphibians, Um, like the state of Washington, when they redid Interstate 90, they put in overpasses and underpasses, and they included habitats specifically to help frogs and salamanders get across the road. And I thought thought that was amazing that the things they've picked up on those cameras are amazing.
0: I like that too, because a lot of times we don't prioritize um, animals who are not quote unquote charismatic megafauna, you know? And so I would, you know, and so frogs and salamanders, you'd think we would overlook them or crabs or animals like that. So I like when they, when we realize this is a pathway that they have always migrated and we put a road on it that they need a way, uh, you know, to get by. Cause I've also, I've seen in um, Wyoming, uh, I've seen, I think for all the um, pronghorn and like antelope type animals, that are in that area. I've seen um, overpasses for them to go over highways in Wyoming, but that's actually one of the only times I've seen um, seen that. Because, like, I'm from Florida, and even though there's the Everglades, I never really remember seeing anything across what we call Alligator Alley that goes across the Everglades from one side of Florida to the other. I don't remember like ways for alligators or other animals to cross the road. Maybe some of them have been built recently, but that's just not what I grew up with. It wasn't prioritized.
1: It's it's still not prioritized enough in Florida, especially Florida panthers are so endangered and they are still getting hit by cars. So Florida needs a ton of wildlife underpasses and overpasses. And another group that doesn't really get thought about in terms of corridors is pollinators especially Hmm. things that migrate like the monarch butterfly, but something like 25 million monarchs get killed every year during their migration because they get hit by cars. And so if we could connect areas and keep them free of pesticides, it would help prevent the extinction of the monarch butterfly that has declined by 85% in the last 20 years.
0: Wow, I hadn't even thought of that. I was thinking of animals who physically cross the road, but then there's animals who are flying but maybe even low to the ground and then they're at risk from um, you know, our cars and even just walls that get built. Cause I remember that there's problems that I thought like the wall that um, Trump was trying to build on the Mexico border was obviously a problem for migratory uh, land animals, but then I was interested to hear even that birds can be affected by that because not, uh, some of them, yet don't fly that high or it just, all kinds of species that you didn't even think of can get affected by these barriers and the kind of industrial uh, uses of the land that we put up.
1: Yeah, we actually published a paper outlining all of the different animals and plants threatened by the border wall. People can find it on their website. It's, um, it's astounding how many species would be, are and will be affected by that wall, including species that you don't think would be because it changes the hydrology, so it changes the flood pattern, just everything.
0: Right. And I, I did several different shows and probably had someone from the Center for Biological Diversity on the show talking about it uh, specifically before the last presidential election. And and there's so many other aspects to your plan that we're, we don't have time to talk about today. But I just wanted to mention uh, for our listeners that there's also restoring the full power of the Endangered Species Act, making drastic cuts in pollution and plastics. Combating invasive int- or introduced species, although um, Tiara did mention that, and restoring the U.S. leadership role in developing a global strategy for addressing wildlife extinctions, um, as well as, you know, combating the, the international wildlife trade, uh, which you mentioned before, Tiara. Uh, well, in, in wrapping up, if listeners are interested in getting involved with the Saving Life on Earth campaign, how can, how can they do that or what steps can they take?
1: Yeah, if you just go to save life you can sign the petition and then you can get our action alerts. So we're always taking action across the country on a range of issues from wolves to agriculture to crawdads to migratory birds. Um, so people can sign up to get those alerts and it we will notify you when there's like a public comment period where you could weigh in or if it's just a petition you could sign such as the the national emergency declaration.
0: And Is there anything you can think of also just that people can do on their own in their communities in terms of biological uh, diversity protection?
1: For sure, I mean there's so much sprawl and development now that wildlife really have a hard time meeting their basic needs and so if people just plant native plants and put water in their yard that'll help the birds, it'll help the butterflies, it'll help the frogs, even just a pot of native flowers or native milkweed can help fight extinction.
0: So oh, that's great. I just saw at the uh, presidential, the Carter Presidential Library uh, last weekend, they, there's a farmer's market always there. And then they were selling native plants because we have like a Georgia native plant society. And so, and, and tons of people were there buying uh, the native plants. So, and we've, I've talked about that with Douglas Tallamy on our show. And he had written a book called Nature's Best Hope. So yeah, like that, though, it doesn't just have to be public lands, but our own private backyards are areas that can facilitate wildlife survival, as you mentioned, by um, having water sources and then native plants. I really like that idea.
1: Well, the Atlanta Atlanta Botanical Garden is Ah, doing a ton of work to save endangered plant species.
0: Oh, that's awesome. I hadn't heard as much about the stuff they're doing.
1: So I'm going to have to look into that. That's great. They, they spearhead a group called Southeastern Partners in Plant Conservation that's focused on um, preserving native plants in the Southeastern United States. Excellent. Okay.
0: Well, that's the end of our show, but I want to thank you, Tiara Curry, for being with us again on Radio Free George's In Tune to Nature program. And thank you for the important work that you and all your colleagues at the Center for Biological Diversity are doing daily to save life on earth.
1: Thanks so much, Carrie. I mean, without people like you getting the word out, it wouldn't be enough. So I appreciate you
0: very much. Oh, thanks. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to In Tune to Nature, broadcasting every Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time, online at wrfg.org and on Atlanta radio station 89.3 FM. We post action items and news at the show's website, facebook.com backslash in tune to Nature, and you can find In Tune to Nature podcasts on most streaming sites. The views and opinions expressed on the show do not necessarily reflect those of WRFG, its board, staff, or volunteers. I'm one of those volunteers. I'm host Carrie Freeman, asking you to please support independent, non-commercial media like Radio Free Georgia. And remember to take care of yourself and others, including other species. Thank you for listening. Cheers.